kicking in your door on a Friday or kicking in your speaker, I guess I should say. The Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Let's go down the street to the bank and look into the Panthers organization from the inside. Steve Smith came out and had some interesting uh, things to say about Matt Rule during his time. He said that Matt Rule, from what he had heard, thought that he was in college. He said he was trying to control everything from who was on advertisements, uh, guys who would be interviewed, who would not be interviewed. I mean, just all types of stuff. Ticket sales, ticket office. He said he really tried to run it like a college program. So did David Tepper give Matt Rule a sense of entitlement? And how troubling is this? We can read more quotes. My computer is being extra slow. I already had the page up so I could read the, some of the quotes in full. Computers, man, they're a problem. They're yeah. taking over. And with, if, if they take over, I just hope that they do a good job. I'll try to take over and do a better yeah, job. Go ahead and I'll come back. Then that computer does. But for me, if you look at Matt Rule, this is not anything new. Like I, I was listening to Steve Smith talk about this, but it's not anything new and, and nothing that I did not expect, right? Like mm-hmm. we saw reports about this. We saw people talk about Matt Rule's control over that organization or at least attempt and try to run things like he would a college program. And so, yeah, if if you're looking at David Tepper and his responsibility in all of this, he absolutely gave Matt Rule most of the power, all of it outside of the power that would take away from David yeah. Tepper himself. And that was a problem. And David Tepper admitted it. Like, look, you know, as we talk about Matt Rule, I know some people say, hey, it's time to move on. He's not here anymore. You know, Steve Wilkes did a good job as the interim coach, and now it's Frank Reich, and maybe debate about that, but it's Frank Reich now. Like, I get all of it. But I will say this about Tepper. He at least admitted to the mistake with Matt Rule, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it it can be criticized. We've criticized him for it a lot. It was an awful decision. And it only played out that way after not even two and a half years, but two years and a handful of games in his third season before he was fired um, after a one in four record. But he did say the other day, look, it was a mistake hiring a CEO type coach. I would translate that as it was a mistake hiring that specific one, certainly in Matt rule. And it doesn't seem like Frank Reich is going to get that power. So that is a mistake that he made giving Matt rule all that power. Frank Reich's not going to have that. Scott Fitter is going to be in charge of the 53 man. And so at least we are deciding to, okay, at least we're not putting the power structure in place around Frank Reich like David Tepper did with Matt Rule. Yeah, I mean, I I thought that was interesting because just I look a little bit deeper. Steve Smith's comments were interesting is what you're saying? Yeah, and just, you know, him saying that, hey, I want – these guys to be on advertisements. I don't want these guys. These are quotes from Steve Smith. These guys are okay to interview. These guys are not. And it it was just interesting to me what type of criteria he may have had for that playing favorites or just different things when you start to think about the layers to things like that as far as why he was picking who he wanted to pick for uh, things like this. So, especially, excuse me, the interview portion, did he think some guys were smarter, some weren't that smart or did he want some guys that were like yes men etc etc so what do you feel like will be turning the page will be the most welcome changes between Frank Reich and Matt Rule well the the lack of power I I keep going back to it but that's that's exactly what I want I mean it's it's the power structure to exist as if it is a functional organization I want the owner 
to make the decisions on who the general manager is going to be because that's who usually hires the general manager. I want that GM to choose the QB. I want him to choose a lot of the players with the help of Frank Reich. That's fine. Of course, they're going to collab. I'm not an idiot. Of course, everybody should have an open channel of communication. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if there is a divide on what player they want, player A or player B, Scott Fitter gets to make that final call. And you know what? With, With Frank Reich especially, part of the criticism surrounding him is that he did not himself pick the right QBs. So he vouched for Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz played better with Indianapolis than he did the year prior in Philadelphia, but it still wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. And so while Frank Reich got as much as you possibly could out of him, still wasn't the right decision. Phillip Rivers, okay, played pretty well, honestly, with the Colts. But then you look at some of these other QBs, and if Frank Reich is the one that's advocating for him, all right, like you did a good job coaching him, but we should probably get a different guy. That's where Scott Fitterer comes in. Yeah. So give him the power to choose who the QB is. Like, th- this is how it works. Okay, Reich, we'll have you coach the QB. You've done a really good job of providing your philosophy and applying that to whoever the passer is going to be. But, hey, Scott, you're going to pick him. <laughs> Frank Reich coaches him. You pick him. And that's what I like. It seems like there is a better structure in place. And I, I do like some of the offensive success that Reich has had in the past. Yeah, for my, for my money, I think that the biggest difference is going to be just Frank Reich's experience as a player. We've heard that he's a player's coach and just him being seasoned. He's been in the NFL 26 seasons, uh, I believe, when you talk about all his experience. And so I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Matt Rule came yeah. in as a college guy. We see what Smitty said about him as far as how he was trying to run it like a college Frank Reich is going to be the complete opposite of that. He understands the business side. He understands the player side, and he understands it from the aspects of him being a former player. So that's my take on that. So uh, Adam Beasley of Pro Football Network, Yahoo Sports picked this up. It was stated that privately there are players who think that David Tepper hired the wrong candidate. How hard is it going to be for Reich to win over the locker room, I asked. But before we go into that, let's play Scott Fowler's soundbite from Wednesday about the vibe between the players and Frank Reich after the presser and during the presser. Most of them would have voted for Wilkes, so it's not like they're just a game show audience applauding everything that Frank Reich says. But he came up, I could see in that, in the vibe of it, uh, he was very careful to come up and, and pay the players respect, I would say. Came to talk to them before the press conference, went over and shook some more hands, had some conversations there, said several times in the press conference, the players are the stars. We're trying to direct them, that, but the players are the stars here. There's the, and, and showing that it ain't going to be about Frank Reich. You know, It's going to be about Taylor Moten, who was there, and some of the other guys who were there. And, of course, it's about somebody else who's not probably here yet, and that's the to-be-named quarterback. And that, more than anything, is the reason Frank Reich has been hired. He's supposed to be a quarterback whisperer, and that's what they need. All right, so just from my perspective, I think it is going to be a little bit different because it was worded as saying that there's a faction in the locker room that feels like he made the wrong hire. We, now, we don't know how many guys of influence are in said faction, um, but we know how this goes. When he comes in, they're going to be very skeptical of what Frank Reich wants to do. Uh, they're going to be looking at everything that he does with a microscope. 
And they're going to compare and contrast a lot. It's like, you know, when you're in a relationship and you break up or whatever and you're dating and you start comparing and contrasting the girls that you're on a date with or your new girlfriend to the old girlfriend and things like that. So we know that that's going to be part of the equation. But I knew that this was going to happen. But as I said, no players were going to come out and say anything. Um, especially, you know, we've delved into the racial aspects of this thing and not to go all the way there, but just the fact of we didn't have any players come out and speak on the fact of how Coach Wilkes was another African-American candidate that uh, was not treated the way many felt he should have been treated during this process, and nobody said anything. Now, that's one problem that I have. To me, I take this with a grain of salt because, as I told you before, the players' opinions and things of that nature, it means nothing to me because they're loyal to the check. They're never going to say anything provocative. They can say all the stuff they want, just like you said, privately. There are guys who think that, but nobody's going to come out and say anything publicly. So to me, it is interesting that reports like this are coming out, but at the end of the day, they're still going to go to work. They're still going to do as they're told. Well, yeah, and and I think for me, if you if we compare both of these stories, right, Steve Smith talking about what he heard about Matt Rule, mm-hmm. and then we're going to this Adam Beasley story, both of them I'm not surprised about. I find the Steve Smith part of this more interesting because he's confirming some details about what we had heard before about Matt Rule being a control freak to the point where it got to advertisements. We know about him controlling what was going on on social media and that Twitter account. That's something I don't expect from Frank Reich, not even just the personnel power structure, Mm -hmm. but even is Reich going to care as much? I'm sure he doesn't want anybody acting a fool on social media and then putting that out there. There's obviously levels to this, but he's not going to micromanage. And I feel like that's exactly what was happening with Matt Rule. With this particular report that you put in, to me, this is where we already knew this. Mm -hmm. Players told you they wanted Steve Wilkes. Just because it happened after the fact and now you have Frank Reich, it doesn't mean that it's any less true that Brian Burns wanted Steve Wilkes. Like, this is out there on Twitter before you actually had a final coach in place. Derek Brown, he told you. There are so many different players you can go to and say, we want Steve Wilkes to be the head coach. We think he's the guy that should get the job. And this is also true, and Dante Jackson talked about it. You can be happy for Frank Reich if you want to. That's totally okay. You can say that he is a good football coach. But you could look at Steve Wilkes and say he earned it based off of going 500 with this team that looked like it was going to tank after the first five games of the season, and he should have gotten the job. So there's going to be a lot of players that say David Tepper hired the wrong guy because the right guy to them was Steve Wilkes. We heard that before. This report not giving us any details. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's fine to put out there. I don't have any problem with it. It's just I'm not learning anything from it, to be honest with you. Like, we we saw this happen already. Like, I know that. <laughs> I know the players wanted Steve Wilkes because they told us. Why do you feel like that guys won't ever come out and say anything, though, to uh, elaborate on these points, put names on these quotes, say anything? I mean, I can't really think of many current players, if any, that have said anything about the minority hiring process. I can't think of any that, you know, like I said, if they felt as strongly as they did for Wilkes, I just would have liked to seen at least a couple of guys come out with some strong sound about how they felt about what happened to him. Well, and and again, we, we know how the players feel. This is my whole point. But if you're talking about why aren't they doing anything about it after the fact, then you probably are right. It, it takes a lot 
you know, not to get too crazy to discuss this, but when we're talking about some kind of revolution, right? Mm -hmm. When we're talking about some kind of, you know, structure in place Mm -hmm. where all the players band together and say, hey, this is who we want. We think there is a real problem systemically in the NFL where there are not black coaches getting the fair shot that white coaches get Mm -hmm. in a lot of different similar categories where you can compare the two. And we think it's wrong. And we're going to finally stand up about it and not play for this particular coach. You need to hire Steve Wilkes. It's a lot to gather all of that. And so it doesn't mean that there's any kind of excuse for the players. It's just how much does it matter to them in order for them to say that we're not going to play or we're going to put this comment out there. Maybe it doesn't even have to be that serious. It just has to be, in your point, players coming out in the media saying we think this is the wrong hire. But also, if you talk about trying to win football games and trying to make the best of a situation Mm -hmm. when you're discussing how can we band together and, you know, even if I don't like it, Mm -hmm. we got to find a way to all coexist with one another. Maybe all these conversations are happening behind closed doors. You see, and that's my thing is that you don't necessarily have to have a you know, a a team boycott, but just some guys coming out with strong statements to voice their displeasure. Yes, just to voice their displeasure. Like, you know, nothing against Coach Reich because, like I said, he didn't have anything to do with it. He just took the job as any person would. But guys coming out and expressing their frustrations on what happened to Wilkes, expressing frustrations on what happened to a lot of uh, what happens to a lot of minority candidates, I feel would be very much welcome. And it's just very annoying to see guys who have, you know, not pocket watching like that, but have money. They have power. They have influence. They shouldn't be so afraid to come out and say things. But that's that's just my two cents. Well, and, and you'd, you'd have to ask them that question. Right. Like, I don't I don't know the exact reasons. There's a lot of people in that locker room. Well, I know why, about, but. From Shaq Thompson and from Dante Jackson and yeah, from yeah yeah okay <laughs> no I mean I, I know why guys that, won't, I know why like, guys won't say anything but that's just because a it's whole the check is what you've topic. been saying uh, yeah it's a little more than that too but it's you know it's it's just frustrating because guys you know they say a lot and and like I said those conversations in the locker room because I know how they go not that I've been in the NFL locker room but I know how guys get in situations like this. It's a lot of huffing and puffing about what would they would do or what they would say or how they feel. And they, they have all this strong stuff when they're together. But then when the lights come on you and that mic's in your face, then you want to play PC. And you so know, after the so, yeah, like this is the thing, too. The, the decisions made mm-hmm. and the, the lights did come on. Right. Like, I know we're talking about some similarities and some differences here. Mm-hmm. The lights did come on and they did voice their opinion. Now, you right. said they wanted Wilkes. Yeah. But then after it happened, they're not cricket. saying the same thing. Right. And so does it mean a difference to you where Shaq said, I mean, we know Shaq's opinion. Like, we know Derek Brown's opinion. We know that you wanted Wilkes, but I would like for us some follow up with that, because I know the conversations that I had amongst each other. I know what those sounded like. I know what they're saying to each other. And you want it to be in the public face yes. even after the fact. Yes. Yeah, man. There you go. Say what you feel. The NBA guys do. They say what they feel all the time. I mean, they do. LeBron gets up there. He says what he feels. A lot of those guys say what they feel. I mean, when we're talking about different coaches, like, for instance, you know, when Dwayne Casey was fired uh-huh. with the Toronto Raptors, uh-huh. and then you had stars that didn't think Dwayne Casey should have been fired after being coach of the year the year prior, right? Mm-hmm. And then you talk about Nick Nurse coming and taking that. Mm-hmm. They still play basketball. Yeah, you for know? sure. They're still going to go do their jobs. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I still, just with the platforms and, 
what these guys have. I just would like to hear them say something against the grain because we never get that from NFL guys. But moving on, next up, though, we're going to go back to or talk about the Hornets and back to some UNC Duke talk with the pretty esteemed former Tar Heel, former Charlotte Hornet. You'll find out on the other side. Well, you already told him. It's going to be Marvin Williams. When we come back on the Weston Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate you listening to us for couple more hours at least. Kyle Bailey going to be taking over at 3 p.m. and he will take you the way until 6 p.m. Have another Hornets game tonight, by the way. Charlotte going to be taking on the Detroit Pistons on the road. So playing the Pistons, they lost earlier in their first matchup of the season. So it was a game where kind of one of the low points of the year, Wes, you know, you saw them lose in overtime. This was a team that was really struggling at that moment to gain some traction. And so, you know, hopefully they can avenge that loss tonight against the Detroit Pistons. Mark Williams played really well last night. We mm-hmm. got to see um, Mason Plumley go perfect from the field again. So I thought all that was uh, very interesting to see, even in a loss. And of course, LaMelo being the big storyline. What did you take away from that game that we saw? It's just continuing to wow me how bad the team shoots from three after being such a dangerous three-point shooting team yeah. last year. I mean, only 20% fourth time in six games that they've re- failed to reach uh, double-digit three-pointers uh, in a ball game. So, yeah, that's the thing, just the shooting woes. Yeah, hopefully the shooting can come back, and they've had so many injuries. It's, it's been a rough go, but hopefully they can get it back on track, and they are playing a lot better basketball here recently, that's for sure. All right, it's Carolina Duke week. This show is full of ACC basketball fans, so we decided to seek out a guy who played in the ACC. Let's welcome former Tar Heel Marvin Williams via the Body Works Plus guest hotline, also current Hornet staff member in the Player Development Department. Marvin, what's this le- uh, week like for you? When it's the week of the first Carolina Duke game, are you figuring out plans where to watch it, texting or hearing from former Duke teammates or friends the whole week before? What's it like for you? Uh, it, it's always a fun week, I think, uh, leading up to this game. You know, obviously you want to try to watch it. Many times you've missed them because you're either playing that same night or you're flying to another city during the game or whatever the case may be. But obviously if there's an opportunity to sit down and watch it, which I think there will be, um, I'll definitely be in front of a TV, and then uh, after we win, I'll definitely give Mark Williams a hard time the next day. I was about to say, I, I figured that was going to happen. And, Marvin, just going back to your time there, please correct me if I'm wrong. I would imagine winning the 05 championship is possibly a top moment for you among them, of course. But with it being North Carolina Duke week, i got to ask you about the game-winning shot you hit against the Blue Devils that same year, 2005. Where does that one rank for you? And that play was crazy. What do you remember going through your mind during that happened? Um, I mean, obviously, like you said, it is, you know, one of my most memorable, you know, times playing basketball ever in my life. I think that one's up there. And then obviously the one in the national championship where I was just kind of in the right place at the right time when I was able to get the tip in late in the game. But uh, just thinking back to that play, you know, just kind of watching it. Sometimes when I see like the the highlight of it, I still kind of get the goosebumps a little bit. You know, you're just out there trying to win a game. You know, to think that we were down nine with a couple minutes to go and it wasn't looking the best for us, but. I think the one thing that our team was back then, we were all tough. You know, we were mentally tough, and we all believed in each other. So we hung in there, and we made play after play after play on both ends of the court, and we were able to make a big one at the free throw line uh, in, in that moment in the game. So 
it's certainly a memorable moment for me, and I'm really thankful I was I was I was having an opportunity to be a part of it. Marvin West Bryant here. Walk us through a day of Duke North Carolina game, like from the time you wake up and all the things that you guys do, and the fans approach you constantly that day. Like, what's the lead up like to a game like that? You know what? Honestly, it's not so much the day, uh, especially if you play them on a weekend like a Saturday, because you're not going to be on campus. But it's usually the week leading up to that. So after you've played that game, maybe on like a Tuesday night, that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are, are, are tougher days because you kind of feel the energy on campus, no question. And when I was in school, you know, obviously we were two of the top five teams in the nation at that point, and the rivalry on top of that just kind of adds another log on the fire. So it's certainly intense. It's certainly anxious. It is a long day. I think we had like a 9 o'clock tip when we played them. So it is a long day. You kind of just want to get out there and get started. So once you get out there and the game starts to play, it's probably the the one time of the day where you're honestly most comfortable uh, once you're out there on the court. Do you have a, a, a little-known memory from one of those games where it was like, you know, you're warming up and there's somebody in the crowd messing with you or just kind of being in the belly of the stadium and hearing the crowd roaring or just any kind of obscure memories that you have from those games? You know, guys, I do. I'll be honest. Um, I remember we were at Duke. And I've always heard about how loud it gets there, and I've always heard about the rivalry and whatever the case may be. So I get in there, and, you know, Duke is not the largest gym. So I was like, man, it gets that loud. I mean, Carolina's 22,000. So I'm like, it gets that loud in here, huh? So I'll never forget, um, Coach Williams called a timeout, and I'm looking him dead in his face, <laughs> and I could not hear a single word he was saying. It was so loud. Like, I'll never forget, you know, how loud it was when I was in there. Like, when we left that arena, like, my ears just rang for the rest of the night. I had a headache. Because it really, really is that loud. Uh, and I feel like it's the same thing when you go to Chapel Hill. But for us in Chapel Hill, that was normal for us. You know, for a team to come visit Chapel Hill, and you see 22,000 in Carolina blue and they're screaming all the time. I'm sure that would make them feel a type of way too. But that was 100% normal for us. So that's one memory I think I'll never forget. Uh, just going my first time being in camera. Well, wait, wait, Marvin, did you mess up the time? Like what play was drawn up and did you completely mess it up because you couldn't hear them? Like what, what happened after that? <laughs> yeah. No, the good thing about the plays is you don't even have to hear them. You can just see where you're supposed to be. Okay. When the coach draws something up, you really don't have to listen to anything. But I could not hear anything that coach was saying. Uh, it was it was it was pretty impressive, I will say. Yeah, as long as you knew you were the X that he was drawing there, then you were going to be all right. It's Marvin <laughs> yeah, Williams. Good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Marvin Williams joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Speaking of Roy Williams, I got to ask you, Marvin, what game does he get more hyper intense for, Duke? Or NC State, and we know how he feels about NC State. It's been documented quite a few times. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to say all of them, honestly. Um, I feel like Coach is the same, you know, for every game because he wants to win them all. And, I mean, he really wants to win them all. But uh, there's certainly another level of intensity, obviously, when you play Duke, when you play State, um, no question. But, you know, I, I feel like Coach is just as, as intense. As, it doesn't matter who's coming in. He wants to win them all. And he really wants you to play well, so. That's how we prepared in practice, and thankfully that's how we went out there and played. Well, and Marvin, it was such a successful one year of college basketball you played. You had the game-winning shot we just mentioned. Your numbers were awesome coming off of the bench, and you won a championship in 2005 with that squad. Did you or do you think you would have come back if you don't win that championship and really don't cap it off with a championship, or or were you such a highly touted prospect that you were going to go pro no matter what? Uh, that's a great question. I guess I've honestly never thought about it. Um, in all honesty, and I think people that know me know this, I did not want to leave school at all. Uh, I, just did, I did not come from the best um, financial situation growing up, and I had an opportunity to kind of take care of my families. I was able to put myself through college once I left, and 
I was able to put my younger brothers through college once I left. So I was able to do a lot of things for my family um, once I did leave school. But, I mean, everybody that knows me knows I did not actually want to leave. Mm. So uh, it was very difficult. It was really hard. Chapel Hill is a special place, man. And I think anybody that plays there, anybody that goes to school there would definitely tell you that. Marvin, I wanted to ask you, so not including yourself, but coming up watching this rivalry, were you a huge fan of it? And do you have a favorite memory from this rivalry that does not include yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Um, wow. I grew up watching Carolina hoops just because my dad is from here. So all he ever taught me was Carolina. You know, I used to watch Coach Smith's instructional videos on VHS and his living room. <laughs> and I would like dribble the basketball growing up. So Carolina basketball, honestly, you guys, is all I've ever known. Um, but, yeah, watching the games, you know, I certainly remember, you know, the games when Stackhouse was playing and Anton was playing and Shimon Williams was playing. I mean, I remember those guys. I remember when, before I got to school, when I was in high school, watching, you know, Sean May and Joel Williams, Jackie Manuel, those guys when they were playing. So, um, I certainly do remember the games. You watch them on TV, but it honestly doesn't really do you any justice until you're kind of there. And then once you're there, you really got to kind of be in it. And once you're in it, 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 it's like no other game that you'll play. That, that's for sure. So you didn't have a memory, a favorite one? Um, He's no, holding I you to the fire, Marvin. Favorite one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, a tell, it's, a, it's, hard, it's hard to say a favorite one. There are so many great ones. But no, I, I, I couldn't say a favorite one, okay. um, honestly. All right, well, let's turn the page, talk about the Hornets. I know it may be hard to give any Duke player some credit, but Big Mark Williams has really come <laughs> on, uh, you know, as of recent, man. And just talk about his development from Duke to now, the way that he's been playing and how he's progressed throughout the season. Yeah, guy, I mean, he is a Dukey, so. But I, I, will, be, I will be honest, man. Mark is uh, he's amazing. Uh, he's an amazing person, first and foremost. a great, great kid, very smart. Um, very fun, very friendly. He works extremely hard, which is a big part of his development. Um, his IQ, his basketball IQ is very high. Uh, it's really fun to kind of watch him, you know, progress each and every week, each and every month from game to game. You know, he, he really focuses in on his craft. He works hard every day. He's always in the weight room. He's always in the court, you know, getting extra shots up, getting extra post work, and he takes care of his body. So, um, honestly, I'm not surprised. I mean, he was a phenomenal college player, so I'm not really surprised he's doing so well in the NBA, honestly. Um, I'm just really surprised at how fast he was able to get better, how, how how quickly he has progressed from game to game, week to week. So it really is fun to watch him do that. And take us inside the locker room. This team is just a resilient bunch. They always battle back game in and game out. doesn't seem that their record really affects how they come out and approach games uh, for the most part. But just talk about this team locker room-wise and, and what you've seen from them. Yeah, I think, honestly, that's just a testament to, to Coach Cliff and his team. You know, I think if you follow Coach Cliff's career, you know, it doesn't matter what five guys he rolls out on the floor. They're going to compete and they're going to play to win. And they're always going to try to play the right way. So no matter what your record is, you know, 20 games above 500, 20 games under, you know, you're going to go out there and you're going to compete and play the right way. And that's something that Coach has always preached with all of his teams. Uh, the guys are getting better. You know, I think the injury bug has really hurt us this year, in my personal opinion. Not only did it hit us early, but it hit us really hard. You know, we were getting guys in, and then guys are coming out, and then they're getting coming back, and then they're out, and you don't know who's going to play, who who's not going to be able to play. So uh, just dealing with injuries sometimes throughout the course of a basketball season, it happens, you know, and I think this this year it, it's been really difficult for us having such key players miss such extended time. But they're getting better. They're playing better as of late. 
Uh, they got another good one tonight, so hopefully they can they can beat a good Detroit team tonight. Marvin Williams joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Just a couple more before we get you out of here, Marvin. How seriously have you considered coaching? Is that the end goal as you see it now with you, of course, helping players with programs and, and player development off of the court as well? Uh, I have not considered coaching at all, honestly. <laughs> um, coaching is a lot of stress and a lot of time, so... Um, I enjoyed my time as a player. I'm really, really thankful and for my opportunity and my role with the Hornets staff right now as I'm able to still kind of help out with the guys that I'm not necessarily a coach. Um, so it's been good. You know, I still get on the court with the guys at times. I'll lift weights with them, play three and three, four and four with them. And uh, I think the biggest thing, though, is that they know is that if they need anything, I'm right here for them. A lot of those guys that are in the locker room, I play with them in Charlotte. I play with them in other teams, play with some of the coaches that are on staff now. So, uh, the relationship is already there before I even step foot in the locker room, which is, you know, really, really key. So uh, I do not want to coach. I have not considered <laughs> coaching. <laughs> I'm enjoying life uh, as it is right now. Well, and Marvin, I mean, I thought maybe you would be destined for coaching, but it is funny the role you describe now. It almost feels like you were destined for this, man. Like he had so many different media awards because everybody loved dealing with you after the games and you were so nice and engaging with everyone. And now here you are helping players off of the court. It's exactly what people valued from you being a part of the Hornets locker room. So do you feel like this is just going to be kind of the role that you have and, and want to be a lifer in the NBA with a role that is similar as the one you have now? Well, first of all, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. But uh, I, I would hope so. I mean, obviously, you never know where life is going to take you, right? So you just kind of live in the moment and kind of enjoy the moment. And right now, this is something I'm truly enjoying. You know, I'm really thankful for the opportunity. I'm thankful that Charlotte gave me the opportunity. And it does. It, it feels fun to me. It, it's very fun to me. I get a chance to kind of be a player but not a player. I'm kind of a coach but not a coach. So I, I just kind of get to be the best of all worlds. So I enjoy it. Yeah, me and Wes were out there for media day. We saw you walk in. You had not been announced to be a part of the coaching staff yet. You went to half court, and then you looked up at the Jumbotron and threw your hands up. It seemed like you were very happy to be back into the meeting, and I'll, I'll remember that, too. It was funny once uh, you got that yeah. title. Uh, Marvin Williams joining us here on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Former Tar Heel, still current Tar Heel. Everybody's a part of the family. And then when you see Marvin Williams also dealing with the Charlotte Hornets, helping with player development, not only on, but off of the court as well. It was great to hear from you, Marvin. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Thanks, Mark. Gentlemen, thank you, guys. One of the best to talk to. And it's crazy because, you know, Wes, when you looked at his role with the Charlotte Hornets, Mm -hmm. this is somebody that shot at least 500 threes a day. And I said that before, and people would be like, all right, you're exaggerating. It wasn't 500. No, Marvin Williams would put in a ton of shots from three-point land as his career would go on, right? Because he wanted to find a way to stay into the league. He was a good 3 and D power forward that was really valuable to this squad. Every time you talked about the Charlotte Hornets making that transition, you talked about veteran leadership. You talked about how badly that team would need it. And that locker room was great. Kemba's like a top five guy in the NBA anytime he's there as far as good guy stuff, right? To pair him with Marvin. With Biz, even on the roster, ushering, you know, that Marvin era, Kimba era to LaMelo, helping LaMelo out as somebody that LaMelo referenced constantly. It's nice to have those guys back in the organization. You need the wins. You need the talent. You need the right pieces in place in order to continue to build off of this. But I do think that you have a nice structure. You do have pretty great relationships, to be honest with you, within some of the higher ups like a Steve Clifford with his players, like having Marvin Williams back. 
there does seem to be this family aspect and we can roll our eyes and, you know, ultimately you need wins. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that. But I, I do value that specific aspect of the Charlotte Hornets welcoming somebody back like a Marvin Williams, putting him in the perfect role. We're not going to have you coach. We know you don't want to coach. That's cool, man. We just want you around these players helping them out. Positive influence is any way you can get them will always help, especially with a team that has a lot of young players and teams that are led by young players because we know LaMelo's the face of the franchise. And so you always want to be able to have those veteran guys around to help them out and share those experiences. And so now you need more veterans. It's why when we approach the trade deadline, I'm not one of these guys that usually calls for a franchise to trade all the vets, get all of the draft assets, and then throw out a bunch of one, two, three-year NBA guys and the three-year dudes be the leaders of the squad. I think veterans matter. And I go back to the Phoenix Suns constantly before they got Chris Paul. They were not out here winning like that. And they did have DeAndre Ayton. They did have Devin Booker, who was nice as soon as he stepped onto an NBA court. Yeah. But they weren't winning. They were constantly picking in the top five, despite having some talented players. And it was once you got some player leadership, that is the thing that really helped you. You know, you see this in different franchises where it's like, all right, well, this is this is the model. Trade all your veterans if you're a 500 basketball team, if you're an eight seed, if you're barely getting to the play in, and then let's trade them all for first round picks, second round picks, you know, whatever. But you need some of these veteran guys. And that's the hard part because a lot of people will roll their eyes and say, dude, give me the wins. Give me the talent. I want all of the special ability that you have from these first and second year players. And hell yeah, I want that too. Like, let's not get it too twisted here. But I do think it matters when you are approaching the trade deadline. Charlotte Hornets in a very finicky situation right Mm -hmm. now. So when you're approaching the trade deadline, Kelly Oubre, Mason Plumlee, they're on rentals. Try to recoup some assets as much as you can. That makes sense. Just just don't go crazy young. Make sure you still have some veterans on this squad as you usher in a new era because I think we've seen the power of that type of transition before. You listen to a lot of uh, basketball podcasts and a lot of them talk about how veterans have been ushered out of the league uh, as it's gotten more recent. Yeah, Gordon talked about that. Yeah, and how much that's hurt uh, a lot of these teams and a lot of development. And you wonder why. I guess it's salaries or or different things like that. But when you look at the teams at the top, you know, a lot of them are still veteran-led teams. When you talk about Boston and, and Tatum and Brown and those guys and, and Brogdon, those guys have been seasoned. The Bucks. you look at the Sixers, a lot of these veteran-laced teams. The Nuggets, not quite as experienced, but still vets on that squad. Memphis is probably like the youngest really good team that you see as far as just that's up there in that top three to four in their conference. And then Sacramento's come along as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got a few vets, but it's always needed. You know, experience is always going to help these young guys kind of figure out how to navigate through things. Yeah. We'll see what happens with the Hornets. Of course, we'll keep you updated as the trade deadline approaches. February 9th is when it finally hits and we'll have to deal with the roster as is after February 9th, because this is not a team that's going to be really approaching the buyout market like that. Maybe you could bring in an Isaiah Thomas or something that it'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, second Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? Well, the first thing I want to do for you guys is to play some Marvin Williams audio really quick. Alton ready on his second attempt. That one is no good. They battle for it. Loose ball. Recovered Marvin. He scores. 17 seconds left. And he was fouled. It's the loudest I've ever heard the Smith Center. Yeah, it was. Crazy. I I like in the background, 
And he was fouled. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you uh, forgot. You know who you know whose voice that is, right? Uh no, I don't. Are you being serious? No, just tell me who it is. Mick Mixon's. Is it really? Yes. Oh, wow. I did not know he was on that call. Yeah. I did not know yeah, that. He was a color analyst for the Tar Heel Sports Network for 15 or so years before he became the voice of the Panthers. Okay. There you go. We're all the way back then in 2005. It feels weird to say all the way back then. Yeah. To say 2005, almost 20 years ago. That's what's nuts, man. The fact that that call came in almost 20 years ago. You got something else fitting. I do. Uh, some news about Steve Wilkes. He will officially interview with the 49ers for their defensive coordinator position on Monday, according to Joe Person and Ian Rappaport. So we saw the rumors there. We saw the reports. Now it, it looks official. Steve Wilkes actually getting some interest from other teams. We knew Atlanta was reportedly interested in him and Al Holcomb. Now San Francisco, how would you like the 49ers replacing D'Amico Ryans, their old defensive coordinator, now head coach with Houston, um, with Steve Wilkes, the coach that you got to cover here for a while. Well, that would be a good uh, bounce back for him to, you know, inherit a defense like San Francisco's. And so I think that'd be great. And I think he'll do a good job. Yeah. Steve Wilkes, Kyle Shanahan, that'd be a good coaching pairing. All right. We have plenty more to get to here on Wesson Walker. What are your all-time favorite Jordan memories? We did not forget. It's Jordan Day. It's February 3rd, 2023. 23-23. We're going to talk about whether I'm going to order a pair of Jordan shoes. Wes has already done that. And then we can talk about some of the best <laughs> Jordan moments of all time. It's Wes and Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Putting in work here with the Kumo D in the background. Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 FM. We're back and in full effect. Remember that? Oh, no, that's that's a little bit before your time as well when people said in full effect. You've been showing your age today. Listen, I appreciate it. I embrace it. Me and Fiddy are just sitting here looking side. There are a lot of people my age and younger that look not their age. (laughs) Is that what you... I'm not saying you look old today but you have been no, telling us about some older times yeah 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 definitely you've been telling us about the good old days <laughs> well yeah i mean talking about good old days mm-hmm. it's 23 day michael jordan they've been talking about it all day um and so we're going to talk about our all-time favorite jordan memories we can do on court off court i will start things off uh, it was funny, as soon as you mentioned that I got the Jordans, I got a text from my girlfriend to give me a, uh, you know, to mess with me about, oh, you got the shoes? Because I thought I was probably going to. Oh, I, I was hoping I'd, I thought maybe I snitched on you on accident. No, not at all. Because, <laughs> grown man status over here, man. <laughs> I just said, well, may, maybe more no than hiding. Me. Well, th- yeah, and it's not like my girlfriend would get mad at me yeah, either for buying hiding. a pair of Jordans, but I just didn't know if there was something. I was like, oh, no, did I just... Yikes. <laughs> no, not That's at my all. fault. Not at all. Partner. Uh yeah, I got those green and white Jordan twos this morning. No, they they were um I actually had gotten them on the lottery system on Hibbit Sports, but I didn't know I only had four hours to claim them. Mm-hmm. So I lost them. Well, sitting there contemplating. You know I'm hooked on the narcotic. Yeah. I just got my first pair of Jordans yeah. in in a long time. Rough, like the Jordan threes. <laughs> and one of my buddies, David Walker, who joins the Lockdown Hornets podcast a lot, he said, that's great if you just want to collect threes because fours are what is very hot right now. Mm-hmm. And I see why. 
I like the fours too. The twos, you're right. Like I looked at them a little bit, and yeah. they're okay. They the lighter colors grow on me. Yeah, right? that's what I'm saying. I used to think twos were ugly. I mean, there's not a whole lot there. It's definitely the the problem with the Jordan twos uh-huh. is that the one is an iconic design. It is such a stark contrasting shoe oh, from what beautiful. the first one was. It's beautiful. Yeah. And then when you see the one, and then you also have the three on the other side, yeah. and then you even have one to boot with the four, yeah. to be between one and three, that's a tough place. Yeah. Like, I feel bad for Jordan 2s, to be yeah. honest with you. When they, re- when they released the new ones uh, that were white, well, they black, were white. and red. Yeah, they had like, the red trim on tough. it. Yeah, I was like, those are tough. So when I saw those white... And green ones, I said I wanted those. But, yes, I fully encourage you. Listen, I encourage the debauchery. Nothing makes me happier than shoe shopping with friends or when my friends are sharing what they copped uh, with me. So uh, I fully encourage you and Fiddy uh, to go out and, and make a purchase if you can. You know, go ahead and um, make something happen. Fiddy, is that something that you'd be willing to do? Because we talked about <laughs> your shoe game as well. And we just had Flander come in. We, we know about his big-time Jordan purchase. And yours isn't bad either, but you probably aren't going to be looking at deals today. If there are any, that'd be great if there were. Yeah, no, I don't think I am because uh, I like to hoard my money. And uh, and every once in a while, uh, uh, maybe every once in a while, you'll buy something like, um, what was your soccer team? Arsenal. You'll buy some Arsenal gear or maybe some Jordans, something like that. Yeah. I'm ready for Willie to get back from Antigua <laughs> so he can sell the Arsenal gear. So then we can reinvest in Tottenham gear. He he took your money and spent it on his honeymoon. He probably did. (laughs) That would be a great move. So when we talk about uh, Jordan memories, I got a few. So one was the pass he made to John Paxson to win the third championship against Phoenix. I remember watching that with my aunt in Savannah, Georgia. And when John Paxson hit the shot, I got up and literally ran outside in elation to celebrate what had just happened. Mm -hmm. So that was that. Uh, also, just like I said, some of the, the nasty dunks that he had uh, on Ewing. Uh, the, the Ewing one. On Dikembe. The Ewing one where he fakes going back out and everybody relaxes. Yeah. So he fakes going back out to the perimeter from the baseline and then says, nope, you thought you were safe, and then comes back. That is a remarkable dunk. Yeah, man. And Crazy. It, yeah, and so I got to see a lot of great NBA players play at the Charlotte Coliseum, but I remember I used to get so jealous. Uh, my cousins used to always get tickets when the Bulls came. Them and their dad would go see the Hornets and the Bulls. I never got to invite it, man. I used to be a little bit uh, jealous, but I, I think I trumped them, though, being a ball boy and going to other games. But other than that. You were a ball boy? Yeah, I was a ball boy once. For, I never said that on here? Uh, if so, I forgot. What were you? Did I talk about it on Lockdown? I think I talked about it on Lockdown. Well, no, time. explain. What were you a ball boy for? Like, what I was, was a ball boy during the Hornets-Boston Celtics game. My mom knew one of the security guys, and I got to be a ball boy. I was in the fifth grade. I mean, okay. <laughs> Anything else? Like, it sounds like yeah, a pretty that awesome was, experience. No, that or... was one of the best days of my <laughs> young life, okay? Like, it felt like it took school 40 hours to be over with. I could not wait for the school bell to ring, to get to the arena. It was cool getting to eat the, the pregame meal. You get your warm-up suit with the little belt joint on the back, the swishy, swishy suit. You got the Reebok <laughs> swishy, swishy. black tops for the shoes. I got them. I tried to get them true to size, man, and I, that was my one mess up that night. They were a little snug on my feet, so that wasn't the most comfortable. You got to choose which uh, job you wanted to do which I chose to be behind the bench with the Gatorade. 
Oh yeah. That so this is Wes, why are you withholding this from us? This is the <laughs> game this is the game we need. Let's yes. go around. so what were the jobs? Like give us some options. So you to could from. do the floor, okay. wiping the floor. You could sit behind the bench with the Gatorade. Okay. You could do towels. Okay. And towels, Gatorade floor. Uh I I think that's about it. I can't remember. It sounds to me like you picked the best one. Yeah, well, man. I mean, because towels at that point, you're dealing with sweat. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so not not that it's the worst thing in the world, even mm-hmm. for a fifth grader. Mm-hmm. But if you give me the option of being behind the bench with Gatorade or sweaty towels, give me Gatorade. The floor, uh, that's it's too much pressure. You get some shine, though. You, that's fine, but you, it's way too much pressure. <laughs> like you got to get off of that floor during a fast break situation. I would be. I I would be way too nervous to do it. Gatorade seems like the right option. Yeah, I man. That, or that I was, did that because I was such a huge Larry Johnson fan, and I sat behind that man the entire night. I tell the story all the time. I sat behind him the entire night. I offered him water every single time he came to sit down, and he rejected me every single time. That's tough. I kept going up. You want some water? And he he just gave me the little wave. No, that's tough. I didn't care. When I was sitting on the bench, and I was just looking at their backs and seeing their names on the, I was like, yo, I'm legit sitting behind Larry Johnson right now. What year was this? Uh Oh, I was in fifth grade. So you were 10 so, years old. Yeah. So it was like 93 or something like that because they were playing the Celtics who were getting old at that point. Bird was like on his last, last leg. Mikhail. No, I think this was just Mikhail and Parrish. So this no, I think Larry Bird was playing. Well, this would have been – this was not – you're not talking about the playoff series. No, 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 no. Okay, this was just because, a regular season game. Right. Because playoffs, the, I'd have been – Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> I don't know if they would trust Floating you on the at that point for the first time. Don't like, took my water, though. Okay. Appreciate this. I told him this story too. And, and he and what did he say? He was just like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was such whatever, a great yeah. guy. Yeah. So 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 to finish up, because I want you guys to get your memories in too, really quick. But uh, I would say too, uh, the "Come Fly with Me" videos and Michael Jordan airtime, dating myself, renting them from the video store, fire videos. I had an uncle who used to watch "Come Fly with Me" every time he went to go play pickup basketball on the weekend. So you're not dating yourself too badly. I did not go to like Blockbuster and then go <laughs> and then go rent it, but I did have it because my older brothers had Air that video. Fun. It's phenomenal. I'll give you one because one, we're up against a break, but this is the one I'll go with. So Michael Jordan, and I guess I wasn't watching him as much mm-hmm. because I was I was 5 years old when he was retiring and so I wasn't watching him live as much, but going back Michael Jordan switching hands in oh, midair. Oh, the Lakers. Against the Lakers, game two of the NBA Finals. They mm. had lost the first one, but then they sweep the Lakers the rest of the way. Yeah. And so this is why it's my favorite moment real quickly. My whole family is just dominated by basketball. I've told this story a couple times. My grandpa played at Indiana and Butler, and everybody else played college ball. And my grandpa, of course, being an old head, mm-hmm. he was quite literally old. He would always talk about how Wilt Chamberlain was truly the best of all time. Yeah. And then we'd argue with him to no avail. No, yeah. Grandpa, it's Michael. It's yeah. Michael Jordan. Yeah. No, you guys missed out on Wilt. You guys missed Wilt. The only thing I could get him to admit was that possibly the best shot of all time was this one. Mm. When we talked about the best shots ever, he said the Dr. J straight arm around the backboard oh, reverse yeah, layup yeah. and then he said as he would always always defend wilt because that's what the old heads <laughs> did and even kareem he would say i will say that shot in midair switching hands against the lakers it might be the best that shot of great. all time and that's the best i could get him to admit that's like great. yeah and that's that's my favorite moment ever watching michael Fiddy, you got one real quick before we get out of here space jam 
Yeah, great one. Okay. Done. All right, Boom. there we go. Short Boom. When we come baby. back, we're going to have uh, <laughs> NFC South Outlook, even though I'm enjoying the Jordan conversation. I'm not going to lie. We if it, if it bled bit. into the next one, I would not be mad at that at all. But this is Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.